Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Today I have two guests, Michael Doherty and Glenn Gaylord. They are both writers and film lovers, and this is our annual look back at the movies of the past year. This is the third year that we've done it, and this is also the year that I've seen the least, <laughs> the least movies, the least amount of movies. Not sure how to say that. Uh, so I spend a lot of time in this podcast going, oh, I need to see that. I'm going to add that to my list. But uh, Glenn and Michael both have some wonderful insights about different films of the year, and I'm sure you'll hear titles that you're like, oh, I need to check that out, because there were some great movies last year. All right, uh, before we get to that, I want to mention the game that I co-created. You Don't Know My Life is now available on Amazon.com. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, I hear big things about this company. I think they're going to be a major player at some point. Um, But we would love it if you want to buy the game and you haven't yet to get it on Amazon because, A, you'll save a couple bucks, but also success on Amazon is very review-driven, and Amazon tends to favor reviews that were written by people that bought the game there. So if you want to buy the game on Amazon, maybe for a gift, and then maybe write a review on Amazon, we would love you even more than we already do. So um, that's that story, Amazon.com, You Don't Know My Life. Uh, So now, without any further ado, let's get to the podcast. Here are... Glenn Gaylord, and Michael Doherty. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the Hollywood home of Michael Doherty. He's a film lover and a writer, and I'm here with Michael and Glenn Gaylord, another film lover and writer, and we're going to do our year-end movie wrap-up special. This is our third year that we've done this. Yeah? Yeah. So you guys both love movies, and you both love to keep track of what you think, and Glenn, I know you write for uh, your your film reviews at glennonfilm.com, and Michael, you keep a list and do your thing, so... We're just going to go down your list of your favorite movies, and I usually keep a list of my unsung movies, like movies that I feel got lost in the shuffle, but I didn't see as many films this year, and I don't really have uh, my normal list, so I'll just chime in when I when I have seen something that you've seen with your um, with with your list, and um, to basically hijack them and then share my own thoughts, but... Um, so how do we want to start this? Well, um, first I want to preface that it's not not all of these are my favorite movies or my right. So they're moments out of time. So you can have a great moment in a terrible movie, and we may just sort of chime in and highlight that. Right. You love Glenn. That's Glenn's voice. He loves to pick out moments that stayed with him from movies. Now, Michael, how do you sort of create your list? Uh, well, it's it's based on, on the whole experience and how, I mean, the best ones are the ones that sort of rearranged the furniture in my brain after I was out of it and, and but this experience would have lingered for for days and days and days and there were a number of things but i also like to do the thing where it's like let's 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 defend something that that might be otherwise indefensible because it has one moment in it or one idea in it that that are is actually kind of great right. so you, oh let's let's be real here michael yeah. wants to pick a fight with me over films that's okay. what we're gonna do that's what it's all about yeah. i do love the rearranging furniture uh, idea. He's All right. throwing furniture, not rearranging. <laughs> exactly. It's a nice way of saying that. All right. So we're meet, Marie Kondoing our film loving, and we're not we're keeping anything that sparks joy and throwing out. The I don't ones. know. There's going to be know. some sparks rage here. Okay. Too. All right. As long as it sparks <laughs> something. So why don't you start us off? What's one of your moments out of time, Glenn? Um, well, I think just you know an easy pick here, and I think a lot of people will agree. There'll be some people who don't, right. but Roma. I just think it's a masterpiece, and there are people who think it's boring. I think that that movie teaches you how to watch it from the opening shot. It tells you, slow down. Calm down. Calm down. Live in the life of this person who you normally don't see. 
Right. And look at her pace. It's the 70s. There was no internet. Right. She had to clean that floor and drudge and clean up after that dog poop, and you're going to live in it, and you're going to watch that, and that's how you're going to watch this film. Now, have you seen it more than once? I haven't. It's both times where I was lucky enough to see it in a theater. Okay, cool. Where I think it's meant to be seen. How was the second time? Because I've only seen it the one time. I think we saw it together at the right. Writer's so Guild. I remember the first time after it was over, I turned to you and I said, that was so beautiful. Yeah. The second time I saw it, I was crying my eyes out. Really? You I were more so, moved the second time. So moved by it. I was moved more by Star is Born the second time, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was crying my eyes out because I thought... This is such an interesting way to show empathy for a character without giving a lot of close-ups. In fact, the key scenes in that movie, you never even cut to her face. Right. Like when the guy who fathers her child or rejects her scares her away. You never cut to her reaction because we are looking at this world from her point of view. Right. And looking at the isolation of that moment. And I think Alfonso Cuaron made so many smart choices in just how he presented this film to us so that we had to kind of figure it out ourselves and figure out how we felt. And yeah. some people were left cold by that. I was just so in it the entire time. Both times. Yeah. I love that. What did you think, Michael? I love every single moment. This is an example where it's like, I, I do have one moment because that's the job. But right. um, I, what's amazing to me about it is that it starts out, like you're saying, like, like I don't think it was slow exactly, but there's no plot and there's no real character it takes its time sort of building those blocks on top of one another and it does it almost all visually and with the sound by the way the sound that they they pioneered for this um it literally felt like the kids were running through the theater the way the the sound would would travel and the way that it was designed um but the thing that i love the most about it is that he took this very small life and made a genuinely epic story out of it because to his mind she really deserved that and the, the 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 moment that i was thinking of is that there's a there's a shot inside of a, a furniture store where um uh, uh cleo uh, and i forget the what's the matriarch's name Do you the grandma the, um she's um she's buying cleo a, a, or, or they're looking to shop for a, a crib because cleo's gonna give birth soon and it it rounds the camera rounds around the the furniture store and then points towards the window just as a riot is breaking out at a student demonstration and the a Corpus Christi massacre I think it was yes. called and um, it, it it just perfectly encapsulates the the kind of collision of history and the personal um, together in that moment it's, it's it's extraordinary everything about it and just to sum up the plot a little bit it's about Cleo, the domestic uh, worker in this middle-class Mexican family's house. And it's about her effect on the family and their, those relationships. And uh, I don't know. How would you describe it for people I think who haven't it's, seen it? I think it's her discovering her place in the world. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a great place. Yeah. But there's good and bad all the way through the film. Yeah. And it's, it, it's just such a way to honor somebody who meant so much who is typically dismissed in society. Right. But who literally holds that family together. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. We saw the film, I think, before much of the, the art or any of the campaign was out. So when I saw the poster and it's the family on the beach kind of in that clump, it was such a powerful image from the film that I was like, yes, that's the shot. So it was, it was kind of cool to see the poster after having seen the movie and, uh, 
been so knocked out by it. Yeah. And so even, I think there's so many shots that are iconic. It could have been, yeah. yeah. But but having that tracking shot along the beach, when they set up that she cannot swim, but she goes and does this anyway, I mean, and then they all come together and they say, Cleo saved us. I mean, the movie yeah. literally articulates that. So. Right. But not ten minutes later, they're ordering around and saying, get me a Twinkie and get me a smoothie. Yeah. So they, 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 they haven't totally right. brought her on board in the same... Yeah. In, in a, I think it's in a realistic way. Yeah. Right. And lo- it's lovely. Yeah. And uh, I think they were just releasing some of the... Netflix doesn't release very many figures or whatever, but how many people had watched that film and where they were at and a lot of people in Mexico, obviously, and... They've sort of been talking a little bit about how it's done for Netflix. How has it done? I think pretty well. Good. I think uh, yeah. So I I'm kind of rooting it for it for Best Picture. I need to see that again, like you guys did, and uh, see how I think. So. I would love for it to win both Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Film, yeah. which would be a first in the history of the Academy, and I, I would be yeah. so happy with that. It's got a shot, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. So um, next movie, Michael. Well, last year I. I started my own list with talking about a movie with Haley Lou Richardson called Columbus, which, if I remember correctly, was at the top of both of your lists. No, no, we, we walked out on it. We, oh. we left. It was the one with um, that was about this architecture yeah. buildings and yeah. I'm kidding. What's okay. his name? Yeah, was uh, that this year? No, that was, it was last. It was last year. year. Okay. It was last year. Oh yeah, but but Haley Lou uh, Richardson appears in a supporting role. In a movie that I think you, at least one of you, loves, uh, called "Support the Girls." Oh, I did see that movie. I did like it. Which I love, 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 love. And and talk about like you talk about the unsung movies. Yes, that, that, was... that you're, it, it, this movie did not get nearly enough attention um, for how how beautiful and powerful um, and 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 meaningful it is for the times that we're in right now. And. I just wanted to say, just as a side note, that that 2018 was kind of a shit year as, as, for being like a human on the planet. Right. But there were so many good things that reflected the best of us and 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 what is possible in the face of all of that. Um, and support the girls, which is about um, uh, Regina Hall plays the manager of a Hooters type restaurant in Texas. Who is taking care of these um, waitresses uh, uh, in, in, during one day? I think it's yep, pretty it's much like one, one day, day. Most day in the in, life. Day in the life, and I love those types of stories. Um, and she's trying to keep her life together. And by the end of it, there is a scream that three of the characters, including Haley Lou Richardson and Regina Hall, and um, Jungle Pussy is that? There you go. That's her name. That's her name. <laughs> that's her name in the movie. No, that's no, her, that's her rap. That's her rap. That's name her rap name. Name. Oh, right on. Um, they're all on the the roof, and they 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 scream, and it's just this guttural animal cry. That's a mixture of of anger and terror and happiness and relief for having been alive in that moment. And I thought that's 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 the cinematic moment for the year for me was yeah. that scream. It's a great moment, and I love that film. I think um, Regina Hall was vastly overlooked for an Oscar nomination. I feel like the filmmakers didn't know what they had until it was too late, in terms of campaigning and visibility. And they didn't have the means, they didn't have yeah. the means yeah. for it. I, yeah, and it's sort of like they started getting accolades, and it, they just could never catch up in terms of the marketing that you have to do or the campaigning that you have to do. Yeah, it's not a. it's such a deceptively 
a simple performance in that she's just putting out fire after fire in one day and trying not to lose her shit. And it's just such a well-realized performance when you can just see the rage simmering inside of her, yet she has to be professional and cool. Right. And it's a great performance. I I like, because there's certain jobs that we see a lot in movies, detectives and journalists and advertising execs that have a big presentation. And then there are all these other jobs that you just never see depicted, like a manager at a Hooters. Like, what's that like? Right. So, and, and there was one actress in there that I really loved that played kind of the sparkly... That's Haley Richardson. Yes, she's so good. With yeah. the t-shirt gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. So fun. So, yeah, that was a that was a little sleeper movie that everyone should try to check out. Yeah, what's so. the line that she says when she shoots the t-shirt gun off? Thank you, we love you. Yeah, it's when uh, Regina Hall is outside stewing and she's not in a good place and she just yeah. comes out, shoots the gun and says, thank you, we love you. Yeah. It's very funny. She's sweet. Right on. But I, right. Think, I think you can watch that on Amazon and yep. I recommend everybody see this movie. Everybody. In fact, turn off this podcast, watch it and come yeah. back. Yeah. Don't That's talk, an order. Don't talk to us until you've seen it. Yeah. All right. Um, should I go next? Yeah, or? go for next. Um, uh, Paddington 2. Uh, I have seen it and I'm <gasps> feeling very bad. Well, yeah. I saw Paddington 1 right before seeing Paddington 2. I had This is really not my thing. I usually right. don't go for animated films or hybrid animations. It's just not something I take to. Right. I watched the first one and I said, wow, this is really good. I really like that. Now I can't wait to see Paddington 2. Right. And so ran off and saw it. And I also think it's a masterpiece. It's 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 this film about immigration, basically, which is so very topical at the moment. And you have this bear that you just you can't wait to see how he just screws up every situation and makes a mess of everything. But my moment in that film is there's this sequence where we're inside a pop-up book and we're traveling through London, and the pop-up book has this great sentimental value in the film and how it, it applies to his family that's back in Peru. And you go through this pop-up book, and it is such a feat of animation to watch things explode and grow and the pages flip and you travel through London. And I just think it's just it's something that I just want in my head forever. Mm, I love that. It's beautiful. I never saw the movie, but I've, I've been wanting to see it. Run. Run. Run to see it. Drop this it's, podcast okay. right now. You guys it, are agreeing a lot. It, it, I, I oh, know. It's, not, it's I know. not going well. I know. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get some debate going. Oh, we got it. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but I, it's 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 the godfather, too, of, of empathetic talking bear movies. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's so kind and loving and warm. And we talk about, again, it's like this was an uh, a sort of an, uh, antidote to what's going on in the world right, right now. It's that this computer animated bear can teach us to 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 lead with selflessness and lead with empathy. Um, that's been a big theme over the year for me. Um, and my, I, it's every single moment really, but it's the final twenty seconds of the movie that involves a hug. Cried my eyes. One of the greatest moments, and and you think it's not real. You know it's not real, and yet it it provided the 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 great human moment of of what we can aspire to, and and how we can be better, and the reward that can happen and can come with with being good. You can feel the fur as that hug happens. It's so beautifully realized. Now, Hugh Grant is in the movie. He's amazing. It's so good. He's amazing. I feel like he's really an underrated actor, because I saw him in a very mm-hmm. British English scandal. scandal. Yeah, yeah. He's so good in he's that. great. 
Like, just good, good. Like, give him awards good. Yeah, is this a huissance? I know. And he also... But he also seems like he doesn't... He's like, I guess I'll be an actor. He doesn't seem like he's... He just seems sort of like... He makes it look easy, or is that what you're He makes saying, it look or? easier in a way, or he sort of, like, fell into it a little bit, or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... He doesn't have that sort of Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm suffering for my art. He's he's sort of, He's not precious about acting. Yeah, he's not an anointed one. He's not an anointed one, but when you watch him, he's just so good um, that I'm having a huissance, a little bit of a huissance. Here you are, standing in front of me, telling yeah. me about Hugh Grant. I know. Exactly. All right. That was Paddington, too. Yeah. What else you got? Um, leave no trace. Woo! Deborah Granick's uh, movie about uh, a man suffering from PTSD in the Pacific Northwest who takes his uh, daughter to live with him into the woods in a in a, in a public park, and how the it's about how the 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 the, the outside world. Um, invades and, and corrupts and compromises that relationship. Um, and it's Ben Foster. Ben Foster and Mackenzie... Thomason. Thomason. Who... Another, Thomas I, and Mackenzie. Thomas and Mackenzie. Yeah. Who, who, who gives... You, you, you hope it's the, it's the type of performance that would get noticed in the way that Jennifer Lawrence got noticed in right. Winter's Bone, which is Deborah Granner's other big movie. Um, and, but what's our first film since then, which is also crazy. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show you that we do need more female perspectives um, behind the camera. And let them work more. Yeah. That's the thing. You can be a female and make a, a, a movie that's really well received. Everyone loves it. And it still takes you eight years to get your next one. Yeah. I don't think that's true with dudes. No. No. What up? Anyways. Especially when... I mean, it, it, it wasn't like eight years of exile after a flop. I mean, no, it was Winter's like, Bone was yes. a critically best picture nominated yeah. movie. Academy nominated. It's the follow-ups. Yeah. It's the follow-ups that they're, the doors aren't opening or something. Anyway, I have not I have not seen this movie. but It's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's it's so quiet and, and beautiful and, and human and real. And again, really reflects the times that we're living in and how... If you have something horrible happen to you that you just want to run away from from that trauma, um, but late in the movie there's a scene uh, where the Thomas and Mackenzie character um, is is interacting with a, a beehive um, on this this com- little commune that that she and her father have gotten to, and. Um, She's trying to explain to her father that indeed the bees won't harm you, that they, they have that capacity, but it, it's not going to happen. And you see him trying to get and, and connect with what she's saying because she's really talking about their relationship. Right. Um, and him just not being able to get there. Um, and I've, I haven't cried that hard at like a single moment other than everything in Paddington 2 than it, in that one moment. Um, of them trying to connect with each other, so lots yeah. of crying in the movies. It's also streaming now, so everybody has a chance to see it. Right. Um, I just I, I don't really have a moment because I think every moment of that movie is just great. It's it's such a deceptively simple film, yet it's kind of a ticking clock thriller. Even though it's quiet, you're really on the edge of your seat, wondering what is going to happen to these people. But for me, the humanity in the film is how this this father daughter interact with each other. Because he's clearly going through PTSD. He's really troubled. And yet she treats him 
so beautifully and they talk like adults to each other and she doesn't try to, to be a sullen teenager with him. She's just talking to him and understands that this is a difficult time for him and yet she also wants to express what she wants out of life and it's that that conflict that's so understated and well realized in the film that really struck me. Cool. I gotta see that. Top of my list. Yeah, yeah uh, right. stop the podcast. And then go see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll pause. <laughs> All right, next up on my list is a film that got no attention that I just think is one of the best of the year uh, is The Sisters Brothers. And it's, it's a genre that I don't usually like, which is a Western. Right. And yet it's in that vein of Butch Cassidy where it's a neo-Western and it kind of flips the script on what you expect from them. Uh, this is Jacques Odiard's English language debut. He directed a great first film called Un Prophet that I loved. And uh, this stars um, Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley as the sisters' brothers. Their last name is Sisters and they are brothers, which is kind of funny. And they are on the hunt for Riz Ahmed, who you know, we all know from Nightcrawler. Love, love that. Uh, and Venom. <laughs> Excuse you. And, right. the night, and the night of. Uh, right. Great actor. And they're on the hunt for him because he has a way to, um, a, a, a type of oil that can, when you're panning for gold, it makes the gold rise to the top. And so they are about, they're bounty hunters after him. And then Jake Gyllenhaal is also hired by the same boss to hunt him down in a different way. And it's how these two groups of people come together. And it's, one, it's got a lot of firsts in it. This is the first feature film where I've seen a transgendered actor play a cisgendered character. And that's wonderful. It's, and it's a really interesting, memorable, small performance. Uh, and you also have this undertone of homoeroticism in the movie that I had to watch it a second time because I thought, am I just seeing that? And I realized, nope, I'm, this is really clearly a gay love story happening in this film. Between which characters? I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But it's, there is a gay love story going on and it's profound in what it says and doesn't say okay. and how the, the West is this opportunity for freedom for people that you never looked at it that way before. Nice. I think it's a beautiful film and there are, this looks between these two characters late in the film at, a, at, at an hour and 25 minutes if you okay, really want to look. Okay, if you just want to skip to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They look at each other and you're going you're gonna, to you know, ship that moment for the rest of your life. It's going to be a gif? I have a friend who made a gif out of it. Oh, because, nice. Yeah, he couldn't, he, he had to memorialize it. was too it. much. Yeah. All right, Glad Award. No? <laughs> did you see that movie, Michael? I did, It's and it's wonderful. And one of the other things I want to say is, is that I like this idea of civility that runs through the whole thing. Um, and it's sort of taking the idea of the Western as being this really unforgiving, awful place where, where men in particular kill, just kill one another. Right. And, and suggest that no, indeed there were, there were men that were trying to behave themselves and actually create things out of love rather than, than vengeance and, and, and stuff like that. And, one of the the beautiful moments is this very odd singular scene with Alison Tolman playing a prostitute who meets uh, John C. Riley, and rather than sleeping together, they have this moment of play acting um, over a scarf, sweater, a, or scarf, a scarf, yeah. um, 
and he keeps correcting her. Um, but but it's but he's trying. It's it's a microcosm of like here's a man who's trying to create a better situation for himself and and failing at it. Um, but it was that's it, um, amazing. So and John C. Riley was in every movie again this year and good in all of them. So. Right I haven't on. seen the Sherlock one. Oh, well, so. okay. Maybe not all of them. <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be like shit Sherlock. Yeah. 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 But anyways, all right. Uh, what's your next movie? Oh, it's my turn. Yep. Um, well, let's do another Western. Uh, the Rider. Uh, Chloe Zhao's The Rider. Um, which Read a I, lot about it and have not seen it. I have not seen any of these movies. It's a great I'm very movie. remiss. Great it, movie. It's it's a really singular work of art, um, but it involves a, a, a rodeo rider in South Dakota who um, suffers a traumatic brain injury um, during one of his rodeo rides um, and then spends the rest of the, the story trying to literally and figuratively get back on the horse, which is the only life that he knows and understands, but is also the thing that if he does it, it may very well kill him. Right. Um, and the extraordinary thing about, the, among many extraordinary things, is that uh, Chloe Zhao found um, Brady Jardot, who is playing Brady Blackburn in the movie, which is just a slightly fictionalized version of himself. So he's a real writer. A real writer and where, who really suffered the, the brain injury. And his sister and his brother and his father are also cast as themselves, basically, or are somewhat fictionalized version of themselves. And what's amazing about that is there was a lot of people that were saying, oh, look at how good these non-actors were. And I was like, no, actually, the brilliance of the movie is that she gets proper performances that, that operate dramatically. This is not real life, but it's, but it's the closest like hybrid between documentary and fiction that I've seen. It's I mean, absolutely incredible. And the, the moment that I would pick is the, there's, there's many, but, uh, uh, Brady goes to visit, um, a friend of his who is in a rehab hospital, one that he had been released from. And this guy had also suffered a radio accident. And this is something that he's not coming back from. I mean, he's not vegetative, but it's, 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 he's having, he's, he's very low functioning as far as, as far as his brain is concerned. And there's a moment where they, where, where they participate together in a form of, of, of physical therapy that has to do with uh, riding a saddle and the, the amount of joy that the guy seems to be feeling in that moment and the, and the joy that, that his friend has with connecting with one another. Um, it's absolutely incredible. It's another thing like, like Paddington too. Just please, please go see this movie. Yeah, that, that's my moment from that film too, strangely yeah, enough. Really? Same. I don't like that we're agreeing this much. It's, I know. We've got to get some conflict going here. I know. I want you to yell at me at least once. Oh, okay. Well, pick another one, Glenn. Well, it does remind me of Siskel and Ebert a little bit. Like, next on my list, it just has some other cadences. <laughs> yeah, but I we're not very sniping. Much. I know. You, you will. Snipe. Come on, it's Mike. All right. Um, all right. So, you're still, you're, you're, well, you're going to snipe a little with me because you don't love this movie Bring as much on. as I do. Bring it on. Which is eighth grade. Um oh. I just think it's the, in this kinder, gentler, empathetic time that you keep describing, right? That we wish we could that, be in. Well, right. no, Let's no, be no clear. In, in film, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I look at eighth grade as the kinder, gentler, more empathetic version of Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah, fair enough. And that it's about this eighth grader, and she is socially awkward, yet she makes these YouTube videos where she's kind of the shit. 
and she signs them off with a very confident Gucci at the end of each one. And she's adorable. And she has this complicated yet loving, interesting relationship with her father, played by a never better Josh Hamilton, who has never never been on my radar as a fine actor. And now he's great. Right. Um, And uh, it's basically just showing you this short period of time in her life in eighth grade where she's just trying to fit in and be seen as the wonderful person that she is. And yet so many people look down on her. And my moment out of time in this film is she has a little dinner date with this another socially awkward kid who she meets at a swimming pool at a birthday party where she's not welcome. And they have a little chicken McNuggets date at the dinner table. And he just looks at her and he just says, you're awesome. And it made me cry because somebody finally sees her as this fantastic person. And he's the guy that should have seen it. And he does. And it's just so beautiful. And uh, I, I, I think this is a masterpiece. Hit me with it, Michael. I don't think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> I'm kind of with you. I, this is one I saw. I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah. I, 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 I think Elsie Fisher is absolutely wonderful. It has another crying moment, which I'll get to in a second. I just didn't think that the direction was particularly special. And, and the script was good, but it wasn't. I didn't. There was, there was, there was better stuff. I'm really good with unassuming directing styles. It doesn't call attention to itself. It's it feels kind of slapdash. It doesn't have memorable shots or great visuals. I think it's fitting to the story he's telling, and maybe that's what he's capable of doing at best. But I'm looking at this just as this particular style of storytelling for this moment in this film. And I thought it worked. Fair enough. Fair enough. But there, there, there. And by the way, it was filmed in my or in and around my hometown, which is uh, well, I grew up in Rockland County um, in New York. Oh, cool! Well, no um, wonder you hate the movie. And right. so the the mall that they go to, yeah. for example, was the, the mall that I go to when I'm you know home. There you go. Um, but I want to talk about that mall moment because the moment that made me cry, and I, I was fighting it most of the way through, and then it just the waterworks just came um, when. She gets a phone call from Olivia, who was this junior or senior in high school who she had shadowed for a day. And they end up being like kind of like nice friends. And in this type of movie, like A Welcome to the Dollhouse, you expect the LC Fish, the Kayla character, to to get completely screwed over somehow or really, really badly hurt uh, for that. But she gets this phone call and she gets invited to go to the mall. Simple little thing. And she puts the phone down and and starts like convulsing with joy. And I said, I know, I know what that, I know what that's like. It's like when, again, when, like what Glenn was saying, it's like when someone sees you, and and not only sees you but wants you and, yeah. and wants you to be in in their life. And how that that her way of dealing with that is like you get the feeling that this was the first time anybody was ever asked her to do anything. Yeah. And 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 good for her, you know. It, it was really genuinely wonderful. You know, that reminds me of a scene in one of my favorite movies, of Parts of Being a Wallflower*, where um, Charlie is going to the football game, and they the cool kids ask him to sit with them, and I just started sobbing. And it was like, oh, people being kind can be dramatic. Yeah. And I think because we're always, I think as writers, a lot we're taught what's the conflict. Everything has to be like that, and sometimes just people not being dicks can be dramatic well but there is drama in that i mean when you are seen or wanted yeah it brings up this feeling that you had inside before that right of feeling inadequate and yeah. not enough 
And so that is conflict. Right. And I kind of have this weird theory that any movie that can make me cry, you may fight me on this, I think any movie that can make me cry is a great movie. Yeah. Because that's a hard thing to do, because I'm a hard ass. You know? Well, I, 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 it, it might be a great movie, but I think for me, crying, it, I never cry when, when terrible or tragic things happen. It is always when people are good to one another. I, I cry when people are nice one, to each other. Or yeah. kind to one another. And, and people come to some level of understanding. That's why I think we have such a mental illness going on right now with this country. We need to actually have a good cry. I think that's I think what we, we need. Do. All right. They may have it. Not alone in our rooms. Yeah. What's your next movie, Glenn? Um, no, it's I, your turn. Oh, it's my okay. turn. And good. I would like to present another one of the great feel-good movies of the year, which was The Favorites. Which... uh, Rachel Weisz, Emma Stone, Olivia Coleman, And Olivia Coleman and and Joe Allen and and, uh, Nicholas Holt. And it takes place in the court of Queen Anne and all the the machinations and manipulations that are going on during uh, uh, the war for Spanish succession. Right. And... um, how these these women are all banding to 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 win favor with the queen so that they can maintain power, and um, uh, uh, Emma Stone plays this this cousin of was it of, of Rachel, Rachel Weisz, Rachel Weisz, um, Lady Abigail, who 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 wants to regain who was born of of royal blood but then loses it somehow we we don't know exactly how that happened and then wants to regain it by by starting from scratch in in the court of queen anne and they're all eyeball they're both rachel vice and emma stone are eyeballing each other the entire time and one of the moments that i love so much from it is they they keep cutting to these um uh Skeet or no, they're birds, they're actual birds. Yes, um, where they're doing where they're they have uh pistols and they're they're killing these these birds. And in one particular scene, after um uh Emma Stone has figured out um that the Queen and Lady Sarah, played by Rachel Weiss, are having a, an, an affair, um, she says, oh, Well, I'll uh. you know, you'll she asked Sarah, Rachel Weiss asked if she'll keep her secrets, and Emma Stone, yes, even, even the deepest one. And then Rachel Weisz just turns and then fires the gun in her direction and starts talking to her about how, you know, you have to be careful about loading the pellet and all these things, but it's this beautiful, sick, crazy moment about how you are not going to mess with me. Right. You are not going to mess with me, and, and I'm going to be coming out on top whether you whether you like it or not. And she does in, in one way or another. I won't spoil it, but... Yeah, I love how Rachel Weisz stands in the movie. She stands like she's got a dick. Yeah. Like, that character, she's, like, she's she's badass. Right. I I, I love the movie, but I don't think it's great, and I there's a lot of flaws for me, and they're mostly, and I love this director, but I think he was trying to do Barry Lyndon, he was trying to do Stanley Kubrick, shoots, like, almost every other shot with a fisheye lens that pans right or pans left, and I got really tired of the style. And it just, it, after a while, I said, enough with this fisheye lens. It's cartoonish. It's annoying me. Um, and it detracted from my enjoyment of the film. I also have some feminist friends who really hated this film. They thought, do we really need to see three women hating all over each other for a film and fighting almost like a, a bad cat fight? And I actually beg to differ. I think that there's much more interesting politics in this film between those three characters. It's kind of like all about Eve in a lot of ways. Uh, with three women at the center of this film. Uh, but 
I did get a little tired of the style. Yeah, I wasn't super into it. I saw it with some friends. I, I was a little sleepy, so I might have not given it the fair watch. But it was at a time when everyone was raving, like, it's the best movie of the year, oh my god. Like, I knew a lot of people that were obsessed with it. And I wasn't that into it. It felt like they had this cool location, and they said, okay, what can we, what story, we got three cool actresses in this cool location, some fun clothes, what can we do? Like, it didn't feel, um, I don't know, like, a, like it was a sort of meant to be. It felt a little, I don't know, like I wasn't as into it. Yeah, I mean, it, I do think it has some really fun, sharp lines. Yeah. Like Olivia Coleman saying, I like it when she puts her tongue inside me. I think it's probably the line of the year. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's I so might simple have been, and I might have nodded off for that, which is my own remiss. remiss. No, then, then, yeah. Yeah, then you need to stop this podcast. Right, I shouldn't be doing I'm just going <laughs> to let you guys carry. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of The Favorite? Did you like it, Michael? I, well, yeah, it was my pick. I, I, yeah. I... I, I the, the, you guys are completely wrong. I know. Wrong. It was your. It was your. Here's the Michael showing yes. up. I, I want to live inside this movie. Like, and and yeah, they're being terrible to each other, but they're also they're not they're not real. So one thing I did like about it is that they're based on real people. The person, that, but they're not real. What I liked about it, one thing was that the person in power that everyone was trying to please was just kind of gross and awful and clueless. Like, and like people can be in power that are just sort of like the worst. Uh, that seemed to resonate, you know? Yeah. And they were all, and she was kind of crass. She's very checked out. Yeah, just, and we're all trying to win favor with this horrible person. Right. With, like, no good qualities. Right. And I love the way Olivia Coleman played her, you know? Yeah, she's fantastic. And every time she screams. Yeah, yeah, when, when the whole look at me, don't look at me scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, but, but I'm not wrong about the directorial stuff, because this is a great director who I think just fell into a trap in this film and just kept using the same bag of tricks yeah. over and over and over again. I did like the choreography, that, that crazy... The, the oh, the dance. dance. Oh, the great dance. dance. Yeah. 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 All right. Next movie, Glenn. Okay. I'm going to pick... Um, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Mm. Gus Van Sant's film, starring Joaquin Phoenix, who's had a really good year. Um, and... He's playing uh, a real-life uh, artist-slash-writer who um, suffers in a horrible accident with Jack Black when they go on a bender and his car crashes. Jack Black walks away unscathed, and Joaquin Phoenix's character is uh, in a wheelchair for the rest of his life from that point forward. And it is told sort of out of order in a very mosaic-like style, um, about this guy who is just willful and crass and difficult and funny as hell and drew some really wry, crazy sort of cartoons uh, that really picked apart the, the establishment in a fun way. It's based on a true story, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but there's some great supporting performances by Jonah Hill and Jack Black. In particular, I mean, they're both fantastic in the film. Jack Black... He has, like, two scenes in the film. And the second scene is years later when he meets up again with Joaquin Phoenix's character. And all the guilt he felt about this accident just comes pouring out of him. Mm. And how his life has been terrible since then. Jack Black's not known for his dramatic performances. And this is gutting. It's he's, mm. it, That also made me ball. His performance is so great in that moment where it's just pouring out of him. Him seeing... And realizing what his life has been. And I 
I'm, I really agree. There you go. All right. I was holding my breath. I thought there might have been a yeah, fireworks. No, well, that's cool. But 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 there were there was this potential for for fireworks because Glenn had seen it before I saw it and. It's a disability-related film, and I have Spina Bifida, so I, I, I think he was he was interested in how how that depiction worked out yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and all that. And what I loved about it and what I came out of it so moved by is that it is about a man in a, a, a wheelchair, but it's about the man first and his 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 journey to sobriety. Uh, it's almost unrelated to it, so it's it's like no, this is this is just a man who's living his life. We have another story to tell. Whereas I think a lesser movie would concentrate on him trying to drink himself to death because he doesn't want to be in the wheelchair, which I mean, that doesn't it, it kind of sidesteps that. And I think it was so so just beautifully done um, and and truly moving. And Jonah Hill, I mean, this, just to watch him dancing around in the dolphin shorts, I mean, it was just this amazing. Oh, now, amazing I'm so, now I'm hooked. Now it's on the top of my list. Amazing to watch. And why yeah. he didn't get an Academy nomination yeah, for this it's, performance it's just, is beyond me. He's great. He, he's he's amazing in it. But actually, the scene that I wanted to to, to point out was we there's, there's this um, – there's this problem with movies uh, with the manic pixie dream girl. Right. And I think Rudy Mara kind of plays that because she doesn't have a very prominent part and they don't explain it and she just comes in and makes them feel better and then kind of leaves the story. Right. But her introduction where she crawls underneath the gurney that Joaquin Phoenix is lying on after his accident and he's got his head through one of those holes for like massage tables – and they talk to one another. Um, it's one of the more excruciating and 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 touching moments that I've seen in film, and it was relatable in 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 all the times that I've been in the hospital. It's just to have a person look at you and talk to you. Right. Um, it was amazing. So. Joaquin Phoenix is one of those actors that you just don't see him ever doing a superhero, or he never feels like he's cashing in. Yeah, or does he? Well, he's doing Joker next year. So oh, he we'll, is. We'll, All right, we'll hello, Joaquin. I spoke. I spoke too soon. Maybe he wants a boat or something. Yeah, I mean, you he know. wasn't Gladiator. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your next movie? Is it Glenn? Yeah. It's, no, it's no, Michael. It's Michael. Back, back, back to I've me. lost the rhythm. That's okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it happens. Um, well, now to another movie about trauma. Um, which was my favorite documentary of the year, which was Minding the Gap, which you can all see on Hulu, um, which was directed by Bing Liu, who was a skater um, in Rockford, Illinois, who uh, began filming, I think it was like 15 years ago, began filming his friends, just doing tricks and things like that and interviewing them. And then he slowly started to realize that they were all sort of bonded together because they were they were children of abuse. Um, and he then continues to to film their their stories, and it returns to the skateboarding as 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 a, as a means of saying, well, this was a form of salvation for these for these boys. Um, but there's one point where one of the, one of his friends asks, "Well, why did you want to make the movie?" And Bing Liu, who's holding the cameras off off screen, says, 
well, I, I just realized that at a certain point I saw myself in your story. And that sort of encapsulates why movies move me as much as they do is because we can find ourselves somehow in that and connect with one another like Glenn of Ike and I have been connecting over the years over this particular art form. It's because we can see one another in it. And I, I just, it's, I hope it wins best documentary. It's up for best documentary, and I hope it. I hope it wins. And I should also say that the the there's a there's a moment where Bing Liu confronts his mother, who was um, beaten by by his stepfather as well as well was he, and that is one of the. I, I'm almost getting choked of the. It's one of the great moments of artistic bravery I have ever seen in a movie because neither his mother nor he backed down from that moment in talking to one another. And the fact that they got it was just incredible. So he appears in the movie and he made the movie as yes. well. What does Minding the Gap refer to? We talked about this. I mean, Minding the Gap, for me, I know that from the London subway yeah. system where you step over the step pole. over the little gap when you're getting on or off the train. Right. Um, in this film, I kept on asking Michael, is that a skater term I don't know? You know, right. maybe there's something about that. And no, I, you... I just I just think that it's 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 the idea of like not if you're gonna jump don't don't fall off your board and right. really hurt or kill yourself, um, and but it also has to do I think with with dealing with the gaps in our I mean that's that's a little too graduate school ish to me but it's like dealing with with the, the gaps in your life and how do how do we fulfill ourselves and right when there are big holes there. Yeah. Like, how do you compensate? Yeah, and the the friend's reaction when he tells him, I saw myself in you, yeah. is also stellar. It's just this fascinating... This character is so joyful throughout the film, and yet has trouble in his life. Yet when he realizes, you notice me, it's another one of those moments where it's like, you see me. I, I, I don't think I've ever felt seen before, and that's this great moment. Uh, it's, it's a terrific film. I, I, it wasn't on my radar, and I saw it. And when I saw it, I said, Michael, I know what you're doing. You're, you want me to see this film because you want to tell me that this is the really good skater movie and that Jonah Hill's mid-90s is the terrible one. Right. And I actually liked mid-90s. He hated it without every fiber of his being. And uh, it was clearly ready to fight already about it. Right. Um, it's, it, I, I found them both really very similar, actually, in their, in their quest for joy. Love. Nice. I'll agree with you in the quest for joy aspect, but I think I think one of those m movies is full of it, and the other one's minding the gap. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the way you put that. All right, next movie. But actually, a moment out of time involving mid nineties that is sure. not about the movie, but might as well get it out there here. At Jonah the Hill directed, by the way. Jonah Hill directed, and at the screening I went to, which was at the Writers Guild, Jonah Hill was there for the Q and A. Yeah. And this woman in front of me raises her hand. And she doesn't have a question. She has a comment. Right, by the way, Writer's Guild audiences are so disagreeable and... They're ornery. They're, they're ornery. Yeah. They're, they're always... They got like, an axe to grind. They got an axe to grind, probably because their career hasn't gone as well. Or I yeah. don't know what, but So they, this woman raises her hand and she says, I just want to thank you for making a great movie. Then she stopped herself and she went, well, not great, but it was good. And Jonah Hill looked at her, and I'm behind her, waving to Jonah Hill like, what is her problem? Like, yeah. I'm making one of those WTF motions. Yeah. 
And he says back to her, I feel like I'm in my living room talking to my mother. <laughs> and I thought, well played, Jonah yeah. Hill. I like your movie better now because of that. Right. I know. It was a great... Well, not great. That's very much the Writers Guild audience. Yeah. All right. It might be my moment of the year. Yeah. <laughs> the Q&A moments of yeah. the year. Someday somebody should write a thing of like the worst Q&A moments ever. And describe. They're so cringy, though. Yeah. You just want to crawl under your seat. Well, okay. good, well, good coffee well, table book. Well, well, yeah. Hang in there because, because I got another one. And this, okay. was, this is an improv because this wasn't on the, the, the list of I know what you're going to name. We, we talked about but um, there was a really, 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 really brilliant and I think misunderstood horror film that came out this year called Suspiria. Yes. Did you see it? I did. Did you like it? No. Here we go. I, I watched it at home with some friends, and it was a lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. I, aud- I, it was audacious. Yeah. But I, I didn't. It didn't. It didn't capture me. Well, I, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and w- one of the reasons, again, is because we're, it's a movie that they that they make. That they've made that takes place in 1977 in Germany when the wall's up, and it's all about the rise of a new form of fascism. Um, and I, I thought that was a really probing thing to do in, in in this day and age, and it and it really subverts your expectations about what an actual horror movie should be. We had a few examples that year. Hereditary was another one. Um, but I just, I love what it says about the need to create art. I love what it says, um, uh, uh, about the damage that men have done to, to women. I love the, what it says about what war does to everything and just destroying human life. Um, and the, the, the moment that I would pick is there's a spell that get, the main witch casts at the end, um, over, uh, one of the few, uh, male characters in 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 the movie and he's meant to forget everything that happened in the movie but also all the horrible things that happened in his own life and it's like this wonderful tender moment that you don't expect but it also has to do with like yeah we want you to forget about this so that we can carry on with our right. nefarious deeds um, and I just love the balance of, of, of tenderness and creepiness in that in that one moment. But what I wanted to say is there was an audience that um, was was privy to hearing David um, uh, Kajenik talk, the screenwriter talk about his experience with making the movie. And there was a gentleman who stood up and said, "I don't I don't get it because um, uh, I'm basically on the team that says your movie sucks." Oh, Jesus. And David Kajanek came back and was like, well, I can't, I can't really have a meaningful discussion with you in the next 40 seconds, mm-hmm. but if you would like to meet me out in the lobby, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. And he stood in that lobby for like 25 minutes or so, entertaining interpretations of the movie and, and people disagreeing with them and him asking questions back. And I was like, that's 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 a that's true a artist. Act. That's a class act and a true artist. I love that. All right. Yeah, it's a I, good story. I don't have a lot to add. I agree with everything he said about this film. Like yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I love the the my moment for that film is the the dance duet when Dakota Dakota, Dakota Johnson, Johnson yeah. is performing, and one floor below, there's another student who is experiencing a bone crunching sensation, yeah. and it, it's a fascinating, beautifully edited. Uh, sequence. Yeah, I remember that part. I'm digging that. All right, Suspiria. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like 
big studio now. Sure, why not? Because uh, there were some great big studio films on my list this year. Uh, and I'm going to call out Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes. I love those um, Mission Impossible movies. Oh, this so one good. I think I is the... I really look forward to them. Yeah, I think it's the best of all of them because it is just such a non-stop thrill delight. It just goes from one great suspenseful sequence after another and keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And I love that Rebecca Ferguson was back in the mix. <laughs> and she was so good in the so last good. one. They're like, they, find, they have to... Somebody creates a female character in one of these movies that's so memorable that they have to bring her back. Right. They typically don't. They it's it's like typically it's Bond like one films. and done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's like bring on a new Bond woman. Yeah. She's like, nope, I'm staying. Yeah. This one, though, had so many thrilling sequences. And I want to point out one because uh, it's in contained spaces, it's hard to create great sequences sometimes. And there's a bathroom sequence. There's a fight sequence with Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, and I'm not sure who the other actor's name is. Yeah. Um, Henry Cavill's Cleft. Is that the other actor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the third person in the scene. And it's the scene where Henry Cavill goes from being this guy that you kind of saw as kind of a middling actor. Yeah. Not really great. Um, and, and even in this film, I don't think he uh, says the exposition lines very well in the film either. He has a lot of them, too. And I think they're kind of rote. But this is the moment he became a, a bonafide star. When he gets up off the floor after being pummeled, takes off his jacket, and actually recharges his fists and comes at the guy. And it's just this thrilling moment. They use it in the trailer because yeah. they know this is an exciting moment. And it's a breathtaking sequence. Yeah, I like him in this kind of, not carrying the film, but kind of the fun side dish. Yeah, the, the kind play, of the don't speak role. He, yeah. should, he should play like one of the new Terminators. Yeah. I think he would be really well cast as that. Um I, I absolutely love this movie. Five and six are my favorites. And I want to say something about Tom Cruise. Um, he's been nominated for an Oscar three times for his dramatic work, and he deserved those across the board, I think. And he's he's a great, great actor, and he's a great movie star. But I wish that they would have paid more attention to this type of performance because nobody can do this. Right. And what I think is so amazing is when he does all these these crazy stunts, like the halo jump where he's jumping out of the plane at 25,000 feet, he did that a hundred times to make sure that he could get the performance of, of being freaked out and getting to do, needing to do something into the stunt. And you just, you don't, you don't see that. And, and I, and I think, I think he needs to be given more praise as an actor for being able to pull that off, and especially in which would have been my most the final like twenty minutes or so, which is this grand helicopter chase that that takes place in India, and um, he's climbing up a rope, which he falls down, and really he really did the stunt, and is climbing on the side of a helicopter, and all, all the while it's exhilarating and it's funny, and it's and it's it's bringing all the characters together in a, a way that was like really well written, and I just it's it's amazing. You hope that. Hollywood make would make all of their big big movies as as well thought out and as as good as this. Yeah, they're my favorite franchise. I think. Yeah, I really look forward to them. Yeah. And every time, sometimes you're like, oh, they're making another one of that, and I'm like, I can't get enough. When's the next Mission Impossible? Mm-hmm. I want him to. If he has to drink Fountain of, if he has to make a deal with the devil to stay young looking and keep doing him, I'm willing to. Anything behind the scenes, even if it's a little nefarious. Oh, I think he makes a deal with yeah. the After Effects studios. Yeah, whatever it, whatever it takes, Keep the, I need my fix. Well, they're, they're doing seven and eight 
back to back because I think he realizes that he he, he yeah. probably can't be sure. breaking his leg and then continuing with the take. Oh, him running, <laughs> him running on that rooftop. Um, knowing, knowing yes. he injured himself. Yeah. yeah, Tom Cruise will die for our sins. He will. I'll take it. But I'm I'm genuinely moved by not that he gets hurt, but that he's willing to break himself. To give us right. an experience, I'm, I'm, that's that to me is true art. So. You feel like he's doing it for the audience yeah. that he wants excellence and yeah, things I, that people haven't seen before. I read an article where, when they're shooting a film, he's very conscious of every shot, whether <coughs> that'll work in a trailer or not. Interesting. <coughs> All right, that makes sense. What's next? Um, well, let's let's do an, an, an another kind of big thing that I was really kind of bowled over by and, and completely surprised by, which was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I, I, I've been a comic book fan since I was a little kid, um, but I've been mostly left cold with a lot of the comic book films and the kind of sameness of, yeah. of all of the Marvel films. I mean, I understand why they're doing it from like a producing standpoint, but... It, the the life is being drained out of them, and right. then all of a sudden, uh, just out of whim, I thought I hadn't seen Spider Man, and Glenn had said it was good, which I, I, it, he he doesn't like those types of movies. Probably would you say less than me, less than most people. Yeah, yeah, you're quite vocal. So about that. so when 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 he said no, you got to go see this thing. I thought oh, okay, and it really kind of knocked me out. I mean, and as far as like the 21st century is concerned, there are three animated films that I think are the most beautiful. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, which we talked about a couple years ago, Coco, and this one. Um, I think the animation is absolutely just jaw-dropping and incredible, and it's so beautiful and interesting to look at. Um, but really, if that wouldn't have mattered if there, if there wasn't a beating heart um, to it, and I think Miles Morales is such a wonderful character because they get at the 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 everyman quality um, that I think a lot of the superhero films have, have long abandoned. And at one point, I think it was his uncle at the end says, "You're the best of us, Miles," and pointing at that that we all have the capacity to do really great things. And I I just love that as 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 a way of teaching. We could be Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's what I took away. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. really like this film. I uh, was taken by the script, by the voice acting. That Lily Tomlin was such a kick-ass character. She was so much fun to listen to. Right. Everybody was. Uh, Jack Johnson, I thought, did a great job. Uh, and uh, what is her name? Han. Um, Catherine Han. Catherine Han. She's always good. I mean, she just plays such a great nerdy lab scientist in that, yeah. that who surprises you. And it just is visually stunning. It has that kind of rat-a-tat fun energy of the Lego or the Deadpool movies yeah. with clever lines and dialogue. But it's more than that. It's what Michael's talking about. There's this beating heart. I cared for that character. Yeah, I cared much. for him. I wanted to know what happened to him. And it, it's just such a fun, terrific film. I think some of the battle things go on way too long, as yeah. usual in those films. And, you know, things are you know always up to basically a thumb drive or something. I know. It's always every climactic superhero movie. It's the whole giant crazy machine that's never been invented before that's going to destroy everything and the key ingredient is a thumb drive you can get an office depot right right and this one did a radio shack yeah yet. and somebody's catching it it's i don't know what you do to solve that uh bill maher calls it the glowy thing it's like this happens and this happens and they're all trying to get the glowy thing <laughs> and this happens and this happens and they're all trying to get the glowy thing um i love the way when they would do <coughs> sort of transitions into sequences you would they would freeze on comic book frames yeah i thought that was really stunning and fresh 
Um, and I like the main character a lot, and they had a lot of humor to it. And I, I think it's going to win the best animated movie, and I For think sure. it should. And I kind of like that it's like kind of uh, um, not giving it to Pixar again, like kind of like stealing their thunder. Like, well, we're we're gonna because I felt like it was the most imaginative. Yeah, sure. and it's like I think the reason I like this because I don't like comic book movies yeah. is because it's animated and yeah. it's fitting for that genre for me. Yeah. It's like anything's possible and this movie really goes for that. There was a cool song in it. I was into the song. I was into it. All right, good. All right. Next for me, can I go off script a little bit go here from a list? Yeah. Um, can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, this is something For going I... off script? Or for, that's the name of the movie. Ha, ah, that was stupid. There. I know, Dang. that was dumb. All right. Um, can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, which is the story of Lee Israel, a real person played by Melissa McCarthy, who has never been better. Uh, it's also one of my favorites, and I saw this twice, uh, and just saw it last week, and it's still held up. I think it's beautifully written. It's uh, not my favorite directing. It's a little perfunctory, especially considering uh, the director's previous film uh, was uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl. And I thought that was visual and interesting. And I think this one's a little plain. But it's such a good story. And Richard E. Grant as uh, Melissa McCarthy's partner in crime as she forges letters. Uh, she's a writer who's desperate and forges letters from famous writers to make some money. And uh, what I loved about the film, though, is that every time it brushes up to a sentimental moment, it undercuts it with something fantastic. And there's a sequence, a scene between Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant where um, it's at a dire point in both of their lives, actually. And he comes in and he's not looking good. Things aren't going well. And, you know, he kind of gives her consent to write about him in a book. And she undercuts the moment by just saying, I just couldn't help thinking that, the you know, when you walked in, I just had this overwhelming urge to trip you. Yeah, and and then they they sign off with a uh, of, 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 of dirty word yeah. as well. And I thought this is exactly what um, thrilled me about this film is that these two characters they're uncompromising, they're nihilistic, and yet you just want to follow them wherever they yeah, go. Yeah, they really they never do the warm and fuzzy thing, and yet Ever. you still kind of love it. You you want to spend a lot of time. I would sit and watch a movie of them just drinking in a bar, right? And, and they're off, and they drank in the actual bar in the actual yeah. seats that the real people sat in. And what a great... It uh, hasn't become a nail salon or a Chase Bank or a Starbucks. Yet, no, All right, mm-hmm. it's holding on. But uh, also just what a great uh, film featuring Jane Curtin, who is she was one, great. Of the, one of the SNL alums who has never really gotten her due. Yeah. And she's a great actor, and she's so good in this film yeah. as her agent, and yeah. who doesn't suffer fools and kind of hates her. Yeah. And doesn't, wants to swat her away like a fly and never backs down from that position. Yeah. What did you think of it, Michael? I thought it was okay. Although I do, the, 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 its main achievement is I think every single performance, like literally every single performance in it, has something interesting going on. And they're the, just the two-handed scenes. I mean, uh, Mariel Heller said she comes from theater, and and but so you can tell that she's good with with actors. Um, but I I love in movies when when people try and connect and can't. Mm. Or or people reject kindness in, in, in some way. So it's, it's it could be the failure of goodness or the failure of kindness. And I loved all the, the, the tiny scenes with um, Dolly Wells? Dottie yeah. Wells? Dolly. Dolly. Dolly, Dolly, Wells. Dolly Wells, who plays this, this cashier at a bookstore 
where um, Melissa McCarthy first goes to, to get the skinny on, on the, the letters and that she's forging. And you can tell that Dolly Wells is this really warm, inviting person that says, I, I get that you're a little strange, but like, why don't you come into my world? And, and um, Melissa McCarthy's character just, just cannot handle it. Yeah. And can't, can't deal with it. And I thought that was so painful to watch, but with all the acid, in the movie to have that little bit of sugar was, was, was a good thing. It was nice. My favorite scene in it was when she was testifying or that she was in some kind of a court situation mm-hmm. or a hearing. Yeah. And she's just honest and the, the writing and her performance, I just thought elevated the whole film up. Yeah. She said she doesn't regret what she did. She yeah. had a great time doing it. Yeah. She was great. So great in that moment. Um, other movies. Well, can I go off script a little yeah, bit? Yeah, go sure. off script. We're, we're, we're off-roading it to, to, toward maybe my favorite love story of last year, which was a little tiny serial killer movie called Beast. I've not heard of this. Um, English. Okay. And it takes place on the Isle of Wight uh, where there's a, a, a murderer on the prowl and there's this young woman played by the incredible Irish actress, Jessie Buckley, um, who meets this guy who may or may not be that particular serial killer at a, at a nightclub when she's, when she's abandoned her birthday party. Um, and it's all about their relationship and, and the growing dread, like, cause you kind of know where this is headed, but then it ends up on a beach where they are finally able to look each other in the eye, tell each other the truth about their lives and their past. And then they walk off onto the, the the beach and i thought and it, it goes on for another scene which is good but it's not as good but i thought i love that this movie had the nerve for at least a minute to go to a place where it said these people are really terrible and probably don't belong in normal society but they can see one another they love one another and they can they could have the possibility in their crazy up way to be to be together and i was just it's it's a very very evil movie in some ways, and it's not like the favorite where I want to live in it. But but oh god, it's so good. It's icky. I mean, I liked it, but it's icky. <laughs> right. Yeah. It it made me feel dirty. I needed a shower afterwards. Is I it appreci- violent? Is it? Gr- is yeah, it but I, I appreciated what Michael's saying about it. Totally. I mean, and it's very well made and very well acted. But I I, I don't want to live in that film. I don't. I want to. I want to discard it. All right. I want to just roll around. Beast. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um. I want to talk about a film I hated. Okay. Uh-oh. Um, now, there's lots of films we're not going to talk about today that I loved. And, right. you know, like, I loved A Star is Born. Right. I was emotionally engaged, despite what I think isn't a great script by Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I cried throughout the whole movie. Um, and it really got me. I love Tully. I, I think there's documentaries like Howl and Won't You Be My Neighbor right. that really resonated with me. But a, a swing and a miss, I, I appreciate those sometimes. Right. And this one, to me, is a huge miss. I think it's a terrible movie, but I appreciate that he went for it. Is Vox Lux with oh, Natalie yeah. Portman, Brady Corbet, who's an actor. Right. Um, many people would be familiar with his work on Twenty Four or Mysterious Skin. Um, funny Games, Funny Games, right? Where he was terrific in uh, this. He um, kind of tells too much. I think he bites off more than he can chew. Where is talking about a school shooting like Columbine. And then that kind of ties together with a pop star who is sort of like Britney Spears or Sia or someone of that ilk. 
um, that Natalie Portman plays as an adult. And it kind of marries those two worlds of like, how does the school shooting lead to this pop star's behavior? Which is kind of a weird reach and it's strange. Has some great sequences in it, especially early on with the school shooting stuff that I think is riveting. Um, Natalie Portman with this heavy Brooklyn accent just chews up the scenery. And I think she's a little miscast, but she just goes for it. She's just like having crazy rage attacks throughout the movie and it's Mm. insane. And then it just kind of peters out with this long concert sequence. Unlike Bohemian Rhapsody, which I think has a great long concert sequence. Yeah. This has one where I'm just going, what am I watching? What is the, what is he trying to say? And I just found it highly annoying and pretentious, but I appreciate that he kind of went for an idea. Yeah, I did not see that one. Did you see it, Michael? I saw it with Glenn. Oh, yeah, and? I was, I was fuming next to him. The, not into the, it. Well, the thing about, is it Corbett or is it Corbett? It's Corbett? I think it's Corbett. Okay. Um, is that the director? Yeah. Um, is you can tell that this is a guy who loves movies and who, you know, having worked with Michael Haneke or Lars von Trier or Olivia Asayas. Like Iraqi. Yeah, that, that he he was paying attention when those guys were, were working. Um, but I think I was frustrated thinking, well, where are you in this, Brady Corbet? Like, I couldn't I couldn't get a voice out of it. Mm. Like, there was plenty of craft there, but I, 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 was, I was missing a lot of the art. Because I think, I think it is frustrating because there is something there, but it just never connects um, in, in, in what I found to be a, a, a meaningful way. Right. Yeah, it's also, I don't know if you're familiar with the Canadian filmmaker, Adam Egoyan. Oh, yeah. But... It felt like a humorless version of an Adam Goyan film, which are no barrel. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Yeah, (laughs) they're dry. That's wow. And that's uh, not humorful at all. No, no, the opposite of that. And so that's how I kind of walked away from that. And I saw this movie three times. I gave it a chance because I have a friend. Three times. I have a friend Will who says, "No, I really like this movie. I want you to watch it again." And I did, and I like contacted. You really put in the time. No, I really tried. I really hate this movie. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, how are you guys doing on your list? How are, do we have a lot more? Uh, well, I can keep talking, but yeah, that, yeah, no, we're good. We can. Different. I just want to make sure we're, we we're just over the hour mark. Um, I uh, I could do one more if you want to do one more. Well, do you want me to do a a, do a, a, a movie that was not pleasurable but was this, uh, like a like a, a valiant swing? Yeah, do I a swing do, and a miss. Um, welcome to Marwin. Oh yes, nobody I know has seen that movie. I, I think I'm that's the, a Steve Carell movie. Steve Carell, and yet I feel like I've seen that trailer so many, more more than any other trailer this year. It was kind of running for six months before the movie came out, and it was weird because it's big star, big director, technical stuff, and then like when it came out, nothing. right? Like, literally like nothing. It, yeah, what and, happened? The, the movie happens. Yeah. Um, because I think it's actually a, a decent script. It's an adaptation of um, uh, uh, Welcome to... No, Marwan Call. Marwan Call, just mm-hmm. Marwan Call, which is a documentary about a guy who um, is into ladies' shoes and as a result gets um, beaten um, into a coma, I think, practically, um, by a bunch of neo-Nazis in a, in a bar. And then as a, as a way of recovering... Starts to build this this um, gigantic uh, Belgian village, circa World War One, in his backyard, and taking pictures of, of that. But what the movie does is it takes it one step further and says that, um, and, and, and makes it so that the the 
the characters, the dolls that he was working with actually come to life with um, uh, uh, motion capture. And there are these, there's this like cadre of like badass, ton-goading, gun-toting women um, that are, are meant to protect him. It's so insane. This movie's so out of its mind. And yet it also has this layer of, of, of syrup that's, that's ladled on top right, of it. Right, like which sort is, of mainstream glossy uh, and, Oscar bait. And it's like you don't, you don't know what movie you had on your hands here because, there were, I mean, there's something there. And especially, it's a really interesting story, right? And especially the way that they do it with, with the, the motion capture. If it had been the entire, like, movie like that where, where it was just an adventure story and then you find out maybe, like, at the end why you were being told this because yeah. this was a way of this man recovering i think i would have appreciated that more but the 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 in the real world stuff never really works but i looked at it as like this was this was worthy of doing it just didn't it just it didn't, didn't turn together. out yeah what did you think of that movie glenn i didn't see it yeah michael was the person who saw the movie i feel like you really did I, us all a solid i went all the way to pasadena for your for your sins i love wow, it you're the tom cruise of this podcast yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was like Leslie Mann and Janelle Monet right. and yeah, yeah, and just trailers like crazy. I saw that trailer a million times. I'm gonna end mine on a terrible movie, but that brought me so much joy, and it involves you, Dennis. <gasps> what um, is it? Because I, mean, I could go on about other films like Black Klansman. I thought yeah, it was yeah, awesome, yeah. and there were, it was a great year. Cold War. There's so yeah. many films that I loved, uh, but nothing brought me more joy than watching this film where you're waiting for this superstar to appear for the entire movie, and then a helicopter appears on the horizon. And Dennis, sitting in his seat, said, fuck yeah, that's Cher. <laughs> As Cher appears in Mamma Mia. Here Is that we what go I said? Here we go again. Yes, yeah. I, I quoted okay. you. And then our friend Steven at the end, so there's a whole row of us watching this right. camp fest terrible movie. Right. And our friend Steven yells across to the row at the end of the film, he goes, that was terrible and great. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and nothing made me laugh or be filled more joy than that moment. I couldn't, uh, the whole time I'm watching Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, is I couldn't figure out Meryl Streep's deal. Is she in the movie? Is she not in the movie? She's hardly in the movie. Oh, wait, she's dead. But then she is in the movie. Like, I just couldn't figure out the contract that she Oh, had. she just said, I have a day. I'll, I'll show give up. you a day? I don't want any lines. Yeah, I just, I just spent the whole time thinking about Meryl's fitting it into her schedule or money or artistic uh, selling out. Like, I was caught up in the Meryl of it all. Um, but I did think it was better directed than the original. Well, yeah, which, but... Which wasn't very well directed, but... Um, yeah, I thought yeah, it me was... directing where my laptop's going to go on the table is better directed yeah, than was, the first that movie. Yeah, that was that first one. Yeah, but yeah, I, um, I watched that first one um, during the heat wave that we had over the summer while right. recovering from bowel, bowel obstruction surgery. Oh wow! And that still was not the best, the best experience. Yeah, it was I still. Just, it was still. I, I couldn't. I just insult to injury. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that movie at Outfest with my friend Scott, the original Mamma Mia. And uh, I said, what did you think? And he goes, oh, I had a fun time. I have a few notes. Like he wanted to go backstage with a clipboard like it was a dress rehearsal. <laughs> Here's something that I discovered recently. I watched Bohemian Rhapsody on video with some friends. And I'd seen it originally in the theater. I liked it the second time. 
way more than the first time. The first time I thought it was sort of like by the numbers biopic TV movie or like whatever. And the second time I watched it, it got under my skin in a different way. I, I just found that interesting. I looked at it less as this PowerPoint presentation of Queen. Right. And looked at it more as the journey of an artist trying to find his voice. And he actually always had it. But knew how to navigate through the system to become what he was. Right. And that I just thought his sure-handedness throughout the film, it I was emotionally connected to that. Yeah, and I was never a fan of Queen's music, really. I never bought the albums. I wasn't that into them. But this movie made me appreciate what a band of misfits they were doing, different things. None of their songs sounded like the other songs. And that they were sort of, they weren't rock and roll, like we want to drink and... You know, do drugs and have women, and like, you know, Freddie was kind of wild, but they weren't the rock stars. They were, they were like, nerds. They were sort of nerds, and I think I'm kind of moved by the way that nerds connected to them, and that I think is why you're seeing such affection for the movie, because they as a band tapped into the nerd within us all, and I guess I was just too cool when I was growing up yeah. to really see myself that way. Some of those songs I love and some I hate, yeah. but the ones I love, I love passionately. Yeah. And you sort of kind of, you kind of give it up for them a little bit. Cause you, and then I like the way the movie showed how a lot of them came to be. Like the, the making of the songs. Yeah, how the sausage. You are happen. bursting with thoughts, Michael. What's going on? I, I am more, and I mean this genuinely, I, I am more moved by what you just said. Right. Than anything that was in that movie. I wish that the, that was the movie they made. This and, was what I thought the first time I saw it. And then I was watching a video with, I was, I'm just going to watch it the first 10 minutes and then leave. And then I end up got sucked in. Maybe it works better on a small screen or something. I'm seeing it again next weekend yeah. at the Cinematech. You can for have free. thoughts. Yeah. For free? Yeah, and the producer's going to be there. And All so right. I, I can't wait to see it again. Maybe I'll hate it the second time. Yeah, I, I, I was distracted by Rami Malek's teeth thing. I felt like that was meant to... I mean, Freddie did have an overbite, but I, I felt like an actor not used to the prop or something. You know what distracted me? Because I think yeah. he's great in the movie, but when he's doing the performances... Freddie Mercury had this campy joy to him when he performed. Yeah. Rami Malek does not have that. It's a completely different vibe. It's more muscular and yeah. hard and strong. Whereas you can see Freddie Mercury was in on the joke when he yeah. performed. Well, but, I think that's interesting. But that was the thing about, I mean, all the praise has gone toward the the, the Live Aid sequence at the right. end. And I understand, I mean, it is exciting. But it was it's cut differently in the movie than than what they actually filmed sure and so you can't actually see the joy you can't see the physicality because it was cutting too much and i was just i'm like just stop there were moments where he could have inserted joy there were still plenty of stuff moments and close-ups that he had just even when he's blowing a kiss to his parents the way freddie mercury did it in real life was kind of campy and sweet right fred rami malek was just like dead-eyed when he did it this is, this is totally unrelated, but sort of related. It's when I saw Hugh Jackman play Peter Allen in The Boy From Oz. Hugh got the joy that came with being yeah. that camp. Like, he wasn't like, oh, but I'm not campy. He was like, the reason I want to do this is I want to be campy. Right. I get it. And I felt like Rami Malek didn't have what Hugh had when he played Peter Allen, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. But I wondered then if it's like a script thing where where he he interpreted that he was playing a version of the character that was darker and more grounded, and, and I don't think so, but that's that's the only defense of it that I could come up with. And it might even be a gay thing that we pick up on or something. I don't know. Or that I pick up on. Um, I think it's just a having eyeballs thing. Yeah. You just see the joy in his performance, yeah. the Freddie Mercury's, that 
It's, it's a, an interpretation, which is right. fair. He can interpret the character how he wants. Yeah. It's just, I, I, that's one part of the film that I thought he really did not nail. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Black Klansman. I watched that for the second time. And that's one of my favorite movies of the year. And I don't always love Spike Lee movies. But what I liked is that it seemed to work on a lot of levels. It was a suspenseful, like a procedural. And then it was also funny in a lot of parts. And it was also saying a lot and really audaciously in the way it chose to do that. And for me, it all sort of worked together, which I kind of thought was... was uh, I, I think it was an audacious movie for an audacious time. And I, I, I thought it worked great for me. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I think it's amazing. And, and, and the moment that I want to single out from that is when Harry Belafonte shows up yeah. to, to give this very long talk about um, Jesse Washington, who was a guy, black guy who was... Um, lynched in Texas in 1916. Um, and while that's going on, it, it cross-cuts with this initiation into the KKK, which includes a screening of Birth of a Nation uh, by D.W. Griffith. And what's so incredible about that, among other things, and this is why I love Spike Lee as much as I do, and I do, I'm, 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 I'm a member of his particular church, uh, is that he, he uses the cross-cutting, which... Birth of a Nation actually um, revolutionized, and he's using it ag against the, that movie and against those people that are influenced in badly by that right. movie, saying that, no, it has artistic value, but this actually was a very dangerous thing because it actually came out a year before this boy was, was lynched. Right. So he's tying it all together in a way that, like, I hope he gets Best Director for the entire breadth of his career, but but for this. I mean, I love Alfonso Cuaron. I would be fine with that too, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't begrudge it for Spike because he did all these so things good. that shouldn't maybe work together and they do. And like ending with Charlottesville footage, what did you guys think of that? I thought it was incendiary. It I was, thought it worked. It, 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 the whole movie was kind of galvanizing and I thoroughly enjoyed it on all the levels you mentioned and particularly because I think it's one of his more straightforward right. films, but he still spices it up with his brand of, of, of yeah, he, he, he gives that joint to the movie. <laughs> it's an audacious time for a, for a, it's an audacious movie for a time that kind of needs it. Like, we're talking about this during a week when politicians were having to own up to wearing blackface not that long ago. Like, it's so, it's so, um, vital and, and, uh, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's like this is not an issue that's been put to bed in any in any way. No, we have not licked races. No, and, at all, and it's way worse than we even thought. And and especially as a white person saying that, I don't I don't uh, have a, uh, the, the 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 total authority about that subject. But I think we're constantly surprised at certain things that we see. But but uh, what, and one of the most daring things about it is just how funny and entertaining it is. Like yes. he he try he he kind of lulls you into think well this I'm just making a comedy and of course these guys are buffoons and then he he does that hard cut to to the Charlottesville footage at the end yeah. and says no I'm I'm actually not messing around you have to understand that 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 you have been tricked yeah. into believing that this is not an issue and it very much is and and his 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 his. his Courage and art is, is amazing to me. Well, and doing fun stuff with the black exploitation kind of styling and yeah. the, the, the shots and the framings and Adam Driver's performance the second time really uh, landed more powerfully with me because it's very subtle kind of what he's doing. Yeah, he's really good. And there's another actor that plays sort of that the the husband of the the 
the um, the woman that has the bomb at the end. Right. I don't know who that actor from, is, from, but he's sensational. He's from Itania? Was, a fin- he's from a fin- Tanya? was he, that the guy? No, it's the that's no. his friend. No, yeah. this guy's a Finnish actor. I looked him up. Yeah, uh, he's sensational. I was like, who is he? He's great. Yeah. Finnish, and he like pulls that off beautifully. Yeah. Anyway, I th- I just thought it was a triumph. So. All right. Any other uh, last thoughts? Well, I, I I really was very moved. But when you when you talked about like the moment that you had in the theater, and so I have one of those as well, and I want I want to talk Let's, about that. We'll wrap it up with that. And um, so there there was a tiny little independent film called Mary Poppins Returns. Oh right. That came out, and it got a, it got a lot of mixed to middling reviews. Not a lot. Of, some people either really love it, or some people hate it, or some people think it's like the devil. Right. Um, but I wanted to see it because I ended up, um, at my sister's house over Christmas and I wanted, we, I go usually every year to see a movie with my family, but I wanted to go in particular to see this with my 10 year old niece and sitting there watching the movie and I was fighting it at first. It's like, I don't know about Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think, you know, that, right. that hype train's come to an, an end and I, I just wasn't sure about the whole thing. But every once in a while, I'd look over at my niece, and and her 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 mouth would be open, and a few mm. times she was just like, "Wow!" Oh wow! Just to the 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 flying and, and all the all the songs and stuff like that, and the penguins dancing again, and and I thought, you know, this is not a perfect movie, but I I love having experiences where I can talk to you, you too, right. about this type of stuff, like. And I can enjoy that moment with with my my niece in a way that may not carry the movie forever. I really do like it. I think it's I think Emily Blunt is absolutely magnificent in it. But it's not a perfect movie. But but even the the most imperfect things have those diamonds in it. And 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 I feel nothing but gratitude for being able to have consistent human contact and connection through. This this art form that we all love. So that's that's my closing. It's, it's like Rob, Roger Ebert said, didn't he? That, that they're sort of empathy machines. Yeah. Films. I love that. Yeah. I can't top any of this, so let's just end. We're on gonna that. wrap it all. <laughs> Thank you guys for our third annual movie special. Like that we have a sort of uh, recurring date. So um, all right. Oh, and wait, 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 we should we should go right to twenty the twenty nineteen wrap up. Sure. Because the movie year began and ended with one word, and that is serenity. I gotta and, see it. I knew you were gonna say it's that. It's the only movie that I want to talk about next yeah. year. So. All right. So good it's bad. So bad it's good. good One of those two. So good it's amazing. So good it's amazing. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thanks again to Michael and Glenn for their awesome opinions and insights. Um, So this happened. Something very sad happened. Um, A friend of mine and a past podcast guest passed away a few weeks ago, Leslie L. Smith. Um, I interviewed him for the podcast In 2015, he had a book out called Sally Field Can Play the Transsexual, a really great novel. And um, I first met Leslie in the mid-90s through OutFest, the gay film festival, and we became friends then. And we were friends in L.A. for quite a while, and then he moved to New York, and we always stayed connected. And uh, I would see him whenever we were in the same city or state. Um, And in 2015, he actually came and stayed with me for a while. He was between gigs and um, lived with me for like six months and um, had since gotten accepted into the um, PhD program at Arizona State. So he had moved to Arizona 
in 2016, and that's where he had been. And then um, just a few weeks ago, he he passed away. They sort of did a welfare check and found him in his bed. There was no sign of foul play, so we don't quite know what happened. Um, it was very shocking and sad, but on um, last Saturday, I went back to Arizona. His professor there had... Uh, had um, decided to have like a, a small memorial with people from the university and um, Leslie's sister and father had, had come in and I flew back with um, my friend Dennis and his daughter Kate and Dennis and Leslie were a couple for, uh, for a while around, when would that have been? The early 2000s? Um, but uh it was very moving to be there at that event because when Leslie was staying with me, you know, he didn't know what his next chapter was. And he finally sort of got accepted to Arizona state and he decided, okay, I'm going to get my doctorate. And it was so nice to go there and see that he was really well regarded in that department and doing really cool, creative things and, uh, meet the people that he had been working with. And, um, it was it was very sad and moving and and beautiful and um, if you are listening to this and you happen to know Leslie, um, you know what kind of guy he was. He was a good friend and a really good listener, really um, smart and insightful, and would challenge you on things. And uh, if you <clears throat> if you haven't heard the interview, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the interview that uh, I did with him a couple years ago, you can get a sense of what he was like. Um, but yeah, that was very, very, um, sad way to start off the year, but I'm glad that I went to Arizona and had the, uh, the experience of being there and seeing his family and, and the people that he was with in Arizona. Um, after the memorial, we had a couple hours before we were going to fly back and, um, somebody said there was a game cafe that had just opened like just a block away from where we were. So I, I went in there. And it's this cool, big... I thought it would be like a small coffee house. It was this really huge restaurant and board game cafe where people went to play games. And uh, it was called Snakes and Lattes, which I guess is a takeoff of Snakes and Ladders, which I guess is what Shoots and Ladders is called in Canada. And this chain started in Canada. So anyway, um, I left a game behind, and so... Maybe uh, people are playing it as we speak in Tempe, but it was really a cool place, and I hope they start popping up all over the place, because um, it's good for business, and it's also a lot of fun. So that was my trip to Arizona. Um, bittersweet, to say the least, but um, I'm really glad I went, and uh, yeah, so that's all I have for you for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye!